lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace, Todd Erzin is off today. Apparently had to go watch his daughters run in like the most prestigious track and field event in the country today or something, I guess. But yeah, I'm yeah. getting soft Ditching in my old age. Yeah, exactly. Aaron is here, though. Nevertheless, good to see you, brother. Uh, let us know what you think because you're here, too. So let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. Uh, that's uh, D-E-A-C-E is how you spell the last name. You can also look for us on uh, Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Just search for Steve Dace there. Uh, look for at Steve Dace Show on Twitter. And if you're looking for clips of the show, go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace, especially if you like censorship, go there. Uh, or Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Uh, I want to quickly, uh, at the top of the program, before we get into the rest of the show, kind of close the loop on something that came up on Friday. Uh, I did get a chance to have a follow-up conversation with my old friend, Michael Ferris, over at the Alliance Defending Freedom. And, and they have done, for many years, excellent work on the religious liberty front. But we've been looking to get some kind of consultation on where to go on pushing back against COVID, Stan. And Michael does have a recommendation for us to get a guest on the air, uh, hopefully as soon as next week, because we're pretty booked, obviously, for this week, and it's already Thursday. So hopefully as soon as next week, we'll get somebody on the air that is actually fighting one of these mask cases right now uh, that comes uh, recommended uh, by ADF for us to discuss this uh, on how to push back in order uh, to get back our way of life. So we want to thank our friends over at ADF for that recommendation. And for the last quarter century or so, they have been standing up for a lot of different uh, conservative causes. But right now, their speciality is certainly in the religious freedom uh, department. They were involved in the case that uh, just won at the Supreme Court in California recently. Uh, They win about 80% of their cases uh, over the years, and they do this for their clients pro bono, which means they get by on donations from people like us. So if you want to help uh, ADF uh, continue the fight in the religious freedom arena, go to ADFlegal.org slash Steve. That's ADFlegal.org slash Steve. Uh, and you can help them protect religious liberty and freedom by donating at ADFlegal.org slash Steve. All right, coming up on the program today... Um, Theology Thursday at the bottom of the hour, I did a recent appearance on one of these, you know, they're in that 365 to 80 range on your direct TV. Uh, and they're on, and they own a lot of local stations around the country too. But uh, this, it, it wasn't TBN. It was, um, TCT. That's right. Thank you. TCT was the one that I was on. Uh, they all have a lot of the same programming and, a lot of it, frankly, is the is the health and wealth stuff. That's why I was fascinated to go on here and see what kind of questions they were going to ask me. They they actually brought me on about our previous book, not the current one, Fauci and Bargain, but about the sequel to A Nefarious Plot, Nefarious Carol. But we got into a broader conversation about challenges facing the church and looking at the rest of the channel lineup over there, Aaron, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, TCT viewers... Probably heard a few things that uh, they're not getting from the likes of uh, Creflo Dollar and Joseph Prince. 
just to throw that out there. Yeah. 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 And when you okay. hear this and, and kind of see the the guy, the interviewer's uh, reactions, you, you'll, you'll kind of be able to judge for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like a light came on. You know, it was like, hey, we can... We, we can we can talk theology here. We can we can do that here on TCT. Mm-hmm. So we're going to let you watch uh, a portion of that interview for Theology Thursday here at the bottom of the hour. And then, of course, we will react uh, next hour. Uh, my good friend, Congressman Chip Roy from Texas, joins us about current fights going on in the Congress over both border security, which, of course, representing the state of Texas. He has seen a lot firsthand, but also election integrity. We'll get into that with Congressman Chip Roy next hour. And then we will play our game of three non-political questions. And given there is no Todd, these better be really, really good questions. Oh, they're not. That's why I have five. (laughs) Okay. Well, at least we're honest. Points for honesty then, I guess. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by LeBron James. Yes, NBA superstar LeBron James did his best Ralph Wiggum impression yesterday as he drew the ire of many when he tweeted out a picture of the police officer involved in the shooting of knife-wielding Columbus, Ohio teenager Micaiah Bryant yesterday captioned, You're next. Hashtag accountability. James subsequently deleted the tweet. James later tweeted, quote, Anger does any of us any good, and that includes myself. Gathering all the facts and educating does though my anger still is here for what happened to that little girl my sympathy for her family and may justice prevail here's what james had to say a few years ago about former houston rockets general manager daryl morey tweeting in support of the hong kong protests i believe he wasn't educated on 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 the situation at hand so many people uh, could have been harmed um, not only financially but physically emotionally spiritually um, so just be careful what we what we tweet and we say we do have freedom of speech, but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that, too. The racialist outcry over the aforementioned police involved shooting of Micaiah Bryant continued yesterday. Valerie Jarrett tweets a black teenage girl named Micaiah Bryant was killed because a police officer immediately decided to shoot her multiple times in order to break up a knife fight. Demand accountability. Fight for justice. Kathy Griffin tweets, how in the hell does this police officer think it's a good idea to fire shots blindly into a group of teenagers having a fight? Yes, one of them has a knife. Oh, that never happened in your school or neighborhood? She didn't deserve to die. 16 years old. Black Lives Matter activist Bree Newsom tweets, Teenagers have been having fights, including fights involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. Y'all need help. I mean that sincerely. A member of the media asked the Columbus police chief this question yesterday. Can an officer shoot the leg? Can they shoot somewhere that would not result in a fatal wound, right? So a lot of people have said, couldn't he have just shot her in the leg so she dropped? Could he have shot her in the arm? Something like that. Right, you know, one of the uh, the difficult things with that is um, when you're trying, we, we don't train to shoot the leg because that's a small target. We train to shoot center mass. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is stabbing is infrastructure. In completely unrelated news, police in Cincinnati, Ohio, charged a 13-year-old girl with the murder and the stabbing death of another 13-year-old girl recently. Moving on, the U.S. Postal Service is reportedly running a covert program to monitor Americans' social media posts. 
First of all, did you know that the USPS has a law enforcement arm? No? Well, it does, and it's been quietly running a program that tracks and collects Americans' social media posts, including those about planned protests, according to a document obtained by Yahoo News. The details of the surveillance effort, known as ICOP, or Internet Covert Operations Program, have not previously been made public. The work involves having analysts trawl through social media sites to look for what the document describes as inflammatory postings and then sharing that information across government agencies. No reason is given why the Postal Service has interest in Americans' social media behaviors. According to the Chicago Tribune, researchers at the University of Illinois have launched a study aimed to find out if there's a link between abnormal menstrual cycles in women who have taken a COVID-19 vaccine. The Tribune says two researchers at the university, Catherine Clancy and Catherine Lee, both had abnormal periods after taking the vaccine, so they decided to launch a study. Quote from the story, they said they initially expected 500 people to respond to the survey. Instead, they hit that mark within a few hours. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, um, excuse me, men can get periods too. Um, perdóname, los hombres también pueden tener periodos. A police officer in Norfolk, Virginia, who was found to have donated to the defense fund of Kyle Rittenhouse, has been fired. According to the UK Guardian newspaper, Lieutenant William Kelly, who served as the executive officer of NPD's Internal Affairs Division, made an anonymous $25 donation to Rittenhouse's defense in September. However, Kelly used an official email address linked to himself. And now Daily Defiance, where the star is you and the story is taking back your country. We'll go to North Carolina with one of the worst lockdown governors where viewer John runs a six-court travel volleyball club and is on a first-name basis with the health department because he doesn't require his kids or coaches to wear masks. And then there's this little guy about an hour outside of New York, this second grader named Alex, whose mom listens to the show, decided one day... He was done wearing a mask on the school bus. The bus driver threatened to kick him off, but Alex stood his ground. About a week later, his mom says the bus driver apologized for the incident. Send your videos and good photos of your defiance to me on Twitter at Days Producer or by using the hashtag DailyDefiance or send them to DailyDefiance1776 at gmail.com. And finally, global warming cultists performed something called a sacrament of today, dumping wheelbarrows full of manure outside the White House to protest Joe Biden's climate plans. Of course, this most holy rite is to be performed only on Earth Day, which was founded by a dude who literally composted his girlfriend. Yes, I buried the lead there. Today is Earth Day, so you know what that means. Deep in the woods of North Carolina, an extremist eco-group called Earth First bewails the violation of American nature. I want to mourn the loss! Of all the old growth trees I've seen and tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die, that there are some people here who do care. So I want you to know that, trees, that we care. I think we are deeply hurting in America. I think we are deeply craving answers. I think that we've lost our identity as we have evolved into technology and into industrialized society. Bring me to this cathedral 
Bring me to those guys. Bring me to this rock that has the most incredible life. That makes me feel alive. I've looked at clear cuts and burnt forest and I've felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> we have been playing that clip on this show for like 10 years. It's never not funny, man. No. It is, it is just never not funny. Well, how do you wind down after getting all wound up every day by what's going on in the culture? Thankfully, we've got some Patriot wine from you or for you. Uh, this comes from vineyards at 9,000 feet down in Argentina, uh, they make world-class wine. Some of the best Malbec grapes in the world. Some of the highest altitude uh, vineyards in the world as well with uh, incredible taste. Uh, blackberry, dark cherry, leather, smoke. Uh, if you, you know, red wine with a good steak, it's grilling season again. Uh, they go together. Uh, all three of us on the show have tried a bottle of this wine. I think we've got more coming, by the way. I forgot to tell nice. you guys that. Yeah. This stuff is really, really good. And if you want to get in on the act, um, it's got uh, a, a, just none of the additives and added sugars and everything else that you get in a lot of store-bought wines today. This is high-class foreign wine, and you can get it right now, 50% off and 50% off the shipping. No need for a promo code. 50% off the wine, 50% off the shipping as well. When you go to PatriotWine2021.com, just have to go to the website. That's all you got to do. PatriotWine2021.com, half off both the wine and the shipping at PatriotWine2021.com. We're going to get more into the origins of Earth Day uh, in the overtime today for Blaze TV subscribers. Uh, Aaron hinted at it. We're going to give you even more of those details coming up today. And what is it that the spirit of the age... Lenin, Stalin, Che Guevara, Mao, the unicorn killer. Who's that? Well, I'm going to tell you here in a minute. Well, a minute after the show in the overtime. The spirit of the age loves them some murderers. They just, they love people who kill other people with impunity. They, they love that. Other right? than that, I mean. It's totally, of, it's totes legit. Yes. A lot of stuff uh, going for it. Yes, indeed. So uh, if, if you want to learn more about the true origins of Earth Day, and then you can completely troll your government indoctrinated children with this knowledge when they get home from school today. I go to blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. For our Blaze TV subscribers, we will give you, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the Earth Day story uh, at that website. Later today, we'll record it right after the program. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, though, and you would like to become one, that's where you can go to get a discounted subscription today at blazetv.com slash dace. So we talked yesterday about the case in Columbus, Ohio, the stabbing case, and the officer intervenes. And we, we mentioned how the Hegelian dialectic now, the notion of a, that sooner or later the thesis and the antithesis fuse into one, one singular narrative, the, the, or other, what's otherwise known as the synthesis, that this is no longer just a philosophical construct, that this is really an ethical conundrum, particularly when it comes to racial issues uh, in America. And so I remember when I was a kid and Public Enemy was out with Fight the Power 
and 911 is a joke and the whole point of that song was there's if 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 you're in a black neighborhood no point even calling the 50 they won't show up they don't care about you 911 is a joke in your town basically all right and so what you've seen now is is that these narratives have fused one narrative said one thesis said cops don't care about black people so they don't go into black neighborhoods the other narrative said um, they only go in there because uh, they love to go in there because uh, they um, they want to target uh, black Americans. Well, now we have fused these two theses and anti- the, the thesis and antithesis. And depending on which side you assert, you're the thesis and the other is the antithesis. These have now been fused into one narrative. And that police officer yesterday walked in or two days ago, walked into a situation that if they don't, if they don't act, then they're a racist, didn't want to risk their own skin uh, defending an innocent black girl. Uh, if they do act, then they, you know, just another white cop shot another black kid. It's a no-win scenario. I think we need to have, especially in light of what LeBron James tried to get away with last night, we need, I think, two courses of action that we should be pursuing. On a, one on a macro level and the other on a micro level. Let's start with the macro, the big picture. I think it's time for all of us now to agree with activists in certain communities that they should abolish their police. I think it is time to give them what they would like. You guys know the story, my all-time favorite episode of the Waltons. Grandpa Zebediah, man, takes Jim Bob up to the top of Walton's Mountain. He wants to become, wants to smoke cigarettes like all the cool movie stars in that era. He goes to the corner market, buys every pack of cigarettes and lung darts they have, and he makes him smoke them all until he chokes on it. Message sent. That I think if, I think it should cease being a talking point. Just give, just give them what they want. Let them have it. Tell people who care about, um, uh, you know, things like life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. This is going down in 60 days. Escape from Denver. Escape from Minneapolis. Escape from LA. Call in Kurt Russell. Get out while you can. I think it is time collectively for us to agree with the spirit of the age. By all means, we should abolish the police. Have at it. I think that we have wasted too much time inoculating. There's a lot of conversation about vaccine efficacy in the country right now. Well, let me rephrase that. There should be a lot of conversation about vaccine efficacy in the country right now, but you're not really permitted to have it uh, until the government says, eh, we're not so sure about that Johnson & Johnson vaccine last week, and now the University of Illinois is like, eh, maybe we've got to take a look at the... um, the, the menstrual menopause angle as a side effect with the vaccination effort. Maybe we should look at that. Maybe it's not a conspiracy theory. Science is settled, Steve. Yes, the science is always settled, bitches. It's always settled. The science, it's funny how it's always settled until it is not. I think the church told Galileo the science was settled, didn't they? Didn't the church say to Galileo, the science is settled, sir. The science is settled. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I think we should stop inoculating this culture 
from what threatens it. You know, there's a, there's a moment, a key pivotal moment in the history of God's covenant people. Plagues are sent to Egypt to get the people and the rulers' attention. It doesn't work. And God says to his people, remain inside, put the lamb's blood over the door so that the angel of death will pass over you. I'm removing, this is, this is a form of God saying, I'm removing my people as a resistant to evil. I'm removing you from the equation. Sit this one out. Daddy's going to take his belt off. A lesson needs to be learned. So you guys sit this one out. Hide out. No more restraints. No more reasons. No more prophylactics. We're going bare skin here. My belt on your rear. That got their attention. We have wasted a lot of time over the last couple of decades electing just beyond useless Republicans. To the point of, in too many cases, they're enablers. And what's happened is we have conducted the frog in the boiling water experiment. We now get the stuff that we laughed at Democrats for saying 10 or 20 years ago. We get it now from Republicans. It just comes at a more acceptable pace that people are more, find it more palatable, more amicable, more acceptable, rather than having them receive it at the time that it wasn't, so that maybe, maybe they would have rejected it, whole cloth. I think we need to start now arguing that these police departments should be abolished in these areas. It's all yours. You got this. Pour one out. Give them what they want. Who loves us more than our own creator does? In Romans 1, Paul says that there comes a point in time when we are so bound and determined to, re- to embrace evil and stupidity that God says, fine, I will give you over to your own depraved minds to do the things that should not be done. My wrath is actually giving you what you want. I'm not restraining you any longer. You're in greats. So be it. I think it's time for us to model that behavior. Stop being nicer than God. This is what you want, and you're willing to destroy the country over it? So be it. You may have it. On a micro level, how do we fight back against this? I think you received a little glimpse of it yesterday with LeBron James deleting that original tweet. It is time for the shaming of the shamers. Let me repeat that. 
it is time now for the shaming of the shamers. You can turn off the NBA and everything else all you want. In fact, let me go to something Jason Whitlock tweeted out a little while ago this morning. For those of you that don't know, uh, Jason in a, in a past life before he became kind of became a transcendent cultural commentator here in the last year or two, this is one of the most renowned and respected sports writers of this era. It's one of the few to win the national sports the national commentary award as a sports columnist it's rare a sports columnist wins that award nationally for all commentary espn and fox the two big names in sports media he's worked for them both hosted shows for them both here is something he sent out this morning on twitter that i want to share with you he says ratings are irrelevant for all of this We've printed so much money and allowed so much foreign money and influence into our economy that results, ratings, metrics don't matter anymore. Message narrative is all that matters. Corporations are paying not based on ratings, but message. Sports leagues don't care nearly as much as they used to about attendance, ratings, any of the domestic data or indicators. <clears throat> the entertainment generated movies, sports, games, TVs, TV shows, talk shows, can, can be financed solely based on messaging. MSNBC is just now getting good ratings in the last couple of years. Their ratings were in the toilet for a decade and a half. Yet they were a moneymaker, as he points out, that entire time. For this reason. They were just a propaganda tool. Didn't matter what the ratings were. Traditional capitalism does not exist, he says, in the sports and entertainment industry. It's just about propagandalism we've always had it it's just far more pronounced now and the propaganda is now hostile to traditional american values so i see this stuff all the time turn it off you're helping your enemy it it doesn't make a difference i mean do that if you want i used to i mean i used to be a faithful nba viewer i didn't even watch any of the playoffs last year i'm a huge basketball fan some of it is the game isn't as fun anymore it's basically just, you know, stand around and launch a three. That's kind of what the game is now. The other is the rest of this stuff. But there's a reason why LeBron James has a different standard for China than he does for you. Because China is who's paying the bills, folks, not you. And you can all stop watching. They're watching in China. So it doesn't matter. And the check's clear from the Shycoms. So you have to hit people where they're sensitive. Right, I told you the story before about Mike Tyson's punch out. He used to come home every day after school, figuring out how to win, how to beat that one big fat Turkish fighter. He kicked my butt for two weeks. Finally, I decided to take a chance. Why is there a Band-Aid over his belly button? Hit him where the belly, where the Band-Aid was. All of a sudden, the guy just froze and I knocked him out in 10 seconds. I'm like, why didn't I think of that before? Because I was stubbornly trying to beat him the way I thought he should have been defeated. Rather than attacking his actual weaknesses. You saw yesterday from LeBron James a moment of weakness. Being shamed. America's most visible black celebrity. Instead of celebrating the fact that an innocent black girl was saved yesterday. He kvetched about the fact that she was. Why go in there and just, uh, why, why, you know, why, why not aim at the leg and then why 
would you risk shooting in a crowded area are the same complaint, idiots. The smaller the circumference of the area you want them to shoot, the more likely you're going to get collateral damage. Here's the idea. Let me throw this at you. White, black, green, pansexual, vegan. Don't go after somebody else with a knife at their neck when a cop is there with a gun. Is that fair? Can we go with that? Maybe. Let's go. That's life life advice from Steve. Don't go. Don't take a knife to somebody's neck in the place in in, in a place where a cop has a gun. All in favor. The eyes have it. You saw yesterday. Now he doesn't want to admit he was wrong, which just shows you he was shamed. It is time to shame the shamers. What the devil hates the most is to be mocked. With this, with the spirit of the age hates the most is to be mocked. What its acolytes and disciples will hate the most is to be mocked. Mock away, mercilessly, mock, humiliate, scorn. Give them the scarlet letter they have worked so hard for. You have received, sir, your reward in full. The wages of sin is death, as in what you've earned. You earned your scarlet letter. Own that poop. And we are here to give it to you. Mock, scorn, ridicule. Mock, scorn, and ridicule. The Karens in your midst, if a second grader can do it in Aaron's video, I think the grown men in this audience can. No quarter merciless mockery shame the shamers you know we all know the detrimental impact of uh, too much time in front of that screen for the kids it can be just frankly, what are they looking at and watching? What's that content? Is that good for them? But then there's also, even if it is good for them, uh, the shortening of attention spans or a loss of creativity. That's why we need to be also looking for some better ways for our children to enjoy and grandchildren to enjoy their downtime. That's why you've got an option with Annie's Kit Clubs. They've got the perfect subscription box for both the boys and the girls for the boys. Um, there is the Young Woodworkers Kit Club. It's a monthly subscription that puts real tools into your child's hands. Uh, every month they'll receive an all-in-one woodworking kit with the materials and tools kids need to make an awesome woodworking project with minimal supervision. And then for the girls, there's the Creative Girls Club, which sends not one, but two fun craft projects every month complete with easy-to-follow instructions that will kickstart her creativity through painting, beading, and more. So if you want to help your kids develop real-world skills uh, that will also help to express their creativity. It makes a great gift. Just go to annieskitclubs.com slash Steve. That's A-N-N-I-E. annieskitclubs.com slash Steve. Get 75% off your first shipment today. A big discount there at annieskitclubs.com slash Steve. So recently, I appeared on one of those uh, Christian television networks that usually has um, all the uh, prosperity um Uh, I guess we'll call them hacks on there. Um, That's why I was fascinated to see how this conversation was going to turn out. It was actually to discuss belatedly my previous book, A Nefarious Carol. But the conversation went in a direction I did not anticipate. 
especially given uh, some of the typical programming that airs on this Christian television channel. That's why I thought we'd share with you for Theology Thursday this week a 10-minute snippet of that interview, uh, courtesy of TCT, and then we will react to it here right after this. Uh, I do want to get to uh, some of may the parallels that we see uh, in what is happening in our nation that you uh, uh, really address and approach in this book. Uh, but, uh, you know, we get a chance often to uh, interview people that are writing nonfiction uh, Christian books. But uh, it seems like there's not a lot of uh, good uh, Christian uh, fiction these days. And uh, I love how you even say this is kind of a, a throwback to C.S. Lewis and what he's uh, written in screw tape letters and in different things. And so share with us a little bit about uh, your decision to kind of take this approach uh, in using fiction to write about what's happening in our world today. You know, it's a key observation that you just made. And, uh, you know, we both now referenced C.S. Lewis. I mean, he was an atheist that uh, one of the ways he came to Christ was through his contemporary, uh, uh, J.R. Tolkien, who, of course, authored the great uh, Lord of the Rings books. Uh, and, and they both got together and they used to sit there in faculty meetings at the local pub uh, after they taught there in, uh, in jolly old England. And they, they would say, hey, how come the people of faith, all the great, we, first of all, we have the greatest story ever told. Almost every great story ever told in the world, particularly in the history of Western civilization, is some form of a derivative off of biblical truth or understanding or storytelling. You know, we've sort of lost that in the modern age. And so Tolkien, to, to, to honor that, launched Lord of the Rings. Lewis did his part, th did that through the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and I think doing that as a storytelling device, you know, I, I don't think we have to reinvent the wheel here, Tom. Why don't we just go with the, we go with the guy who's undefeated all time, Christ? He knows what he's doing. Emulate him. Uh, he told stories. Uh, par we call them parables today, but that's what they were. They were stories to the people that would understand. He used expressions, uh, things like hypocrites, for example, were uh, were local color expressions that the people of the time would understand. Uh, Paul, when he goes to Mars Hill, uh, he cites to uh, the Stoics there, their own Greek poet Virgil, for example. And so I, I think, you know, it's what the late great Abraham Kuyper once said, there is no square inch of this planet over which Christ does not say that's mine. We can, we can urban renewal virtually any of these things, uh, uh, including storytelling, in order to tell the greatest story ever told. And that's what I tried to do with A Nefarious Carol. Well, that's great. And Steve, I want to ask you, uh, share again, this is a, a fiction book, but uh, I think it draws parallels of what we're seeing uh, in society. And, uh, you know, not just uh, today, but this fight of good versus evil has been going on since uh, the beginning of time. But yet we can certainly see how it's playing out uh, in our country today, in our politics, in our society. And so uh, what are some things that you want uh, people to get uh, as they read this book and understand about uh, what's happening? happening even in our real world today? One of the things I try to do in, in, with my own audience, Tom, is encourage critical thinking, and particularly for the believers in our audience. Uh, I don't do particularly, I don't do a specifically Christian program, I'm, but I'm a Christian who does a program. And so I, I, I'm, in, I'm imbuing my show with my beliefs all the time. And one of the things I try to do is, is discipleship and critical thinking. First dimension, know why you know which you believe, right? That's a biblical commandment. Peter says that in his epistle, always have apologia or apologetics. That's where we get that word to a ready defense for the beliefs that you have. So can we as believers, <clears throat> pardon me, can we defend our own belief system? That's number one. 
Number two, though, uh, can we do we know what the belief systems are around us? We're in an increasingly pagan, pluralistic uh, culture. Uh, the, the culture of today is no longer dominated uh, by uh, Christian witness and values. We're not the default setting anymore in America. And so we're more pilgrims uh, than patriots these days. And so we've got a lot of evangelizing uh, and a lot of cultural terraforming to do around us. And in order to do that successfully, you know, if I'm going to go in the mission field, whether it's America or someplace else, I want to know. Who are the people I'm going to mission to? What do they believe? What are their customs? Which of their customs can I adopt? Which of their customs must I reject, right? So that's the second dimension. And then the third dimension, though, to make sure that we're not just winning arguments here, but we're winning people. Jesus died for people. He didn't die for an argument, didn't even die for a theology. He died for people. And so make sure we're winning people here. The third dimension is why do other people believe? To know why other people believe what they believe about what we believe. Uh, we know as believers on the on the other side of the equation now, we know that people don't go to church because they don't want to be, no matter what method of communication, they really don't go because they don't want to be confronted in their sin. We know that. But how does that play out for an individual person? Is somebody not going because somebody in the church abused them in the past? And then when they tried to get accountability, it was denied them. And so that hypocrisy hardened their hearts, right? We won't know those things. This is where we develop empathy. We won't know that those things unless we truly get to know where other people's objections to what we believe come from. And in this story, our lead female character, she grew up in a Christian home, but it was one that was riddled with dysfunction and hypocrisy as her parents were very clumsy with their, Christ, their new Christian faith, trying to figure out what it meant, couldn't defend their belief system. She rejected it. She then left them and ends up in the, har- in, the, in the arms of an abusive boyfriend. She's fleeing him now. She doesn't believe she can go back home. She'll be welcomed back. And that puts her, metaphorically speaking here, right for the pickings for the enemy. That is a story that is all too common in our own culture today. It's taking place in too many of our homes and too many of our neighborhoods. And so our female protagonist in the book, she's kind of a compilation of what's going on in the battle for the average American soul. Wow, that's good. And, and Steve, again, just kind of talking about the issues uh, at play uh, in our society today. What are, what are some of the top issues? I know you cover things happening in, in politics, just in our culture uh, today. What, what are some of the top issues that you feel that Christians should be aware of and, and uh, maybe be engaged in in our uh, society today? I think the number one issue is a lack of critical thinking. Um, and, and if we don't have critical thinking, you know, one of the things that Lord Nefarious says in, in the predecessor book, A Nefarious Plot, and if you don't mind me saying both of these, by the way, are available right now at Amazon.com if you wanted to pick those up. And again, A Nefarious Plot is the one we're going to turn into a motion picture later this year. But one of the, one of the things that Lord Nefarious, the devil's uh, bad lieutenant, says in, uh, in, in that book, A Nefarious Plot, Tom, is that anything at all that creates or inspires critical thinking. Hell does everything they can possibly do to squash. And then anything, even if it's from a secular basis, that causes us to look above ourselves, beyond ourselves, uh, to, look, to, to aim for higher virtues and values, even if we don't recognize yet what the source of them is. The enemy also looks to squash those things. And, and I think, you know, we look at, we, we know all the issues, the, the, the micro issues at play. Uh, the sanctity of life, the fact we can't identify today much a, a rising tide in the culture wants to reject the first fundamental fact of all of human existence. The, the first thing, Tom, that's said about any human being in this audience 
and in any audience, right, all over the world and in the history of the world, the first fact ever stated about a human being is it's a boy, it's a girl. That's the first fundamental fact ever stated about a person. Moses writes, he created them, male and female, in his image. He created them. All right. This is the first fundamental fact of human existence and a rising tide in our culture wants to reject that. Those issues, though, all stem from a source. That source is the spirit of the age, postmodernism, for example, the lack of critical thinking, the dumbing down of the culture. Uh, if if we, we, I, we're going to have a very hard time evangelizing a free people without our ability to help them critically think, because it's what Paul says. I mean, it's, this is, conf, you know, uh, it's confounding to the Greek. Why is, why is the gospel, why did he write it was confounding to the Greek mind? Because they were so educated. They were so indoctrinated into a certain cultural notion. They believed Hellenistically they were the superior culture on earth. And now you come to us and tell us, we have, we have, we have contrived all these different deities and entities for all these maladies that confront the world, every single one. And you come to us and tell us there's just one God and he has just one son and he is the only sacrifice for our sins that has ever been, that has ever been made to the full satisfaction of the one creator. That just confounds us. It must be more sophisticated than that. It must be more difficult than that. And now we have the opposite problem in, in the culture we have today where they don't want to come now and reason together at all. Most of our countrymen can't reason whatsoever. We need to recover critical thinking. We're not going to out-emote the pagans in this culture. They've got the market cornered on emotion. We need to uh, we need to reintroduce critical thinking. To me, that's the number one issue that is confronting us, because if we don't reintroduce critical thinking, then when we get into these other issues, of damnation and other issues of, of, of cultural depravity, Tom, we get bogged down in the emotional argument. Well, I'm gay. I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, so you must hate me. Well, I'm pregnant with a child that I didn't want. I got raped. I'm a victim of incest. You're forcing me to give birth to this baby. We cannot overcome these powerful emotional objections because they also do have some merit to them. But so, so then how do we overcome them? We must reintroduce critical thinking to this culture or it is toast. All right, Aaron, your thoughts on that exchange. And I know you watched the entire thing. Uh, yeah. We couldn't play the whole thing for the audience because of the time constraints, but I don't know if you picked up on this, but in real time, it seemed like in the first couple of minutes, the host was like, all right, here's another book, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. We start talking issues and all of a sudden dude sat up straight in his chair, like the light, the pilot light came on. He's like, all right, yeah. hey, this is why I showed up for work today. Right? Right. Did you catch that? Yes, I did. And it's, it was fascinating to see. You could even see it in the, in the section that we, uh, that we, that we played and featured that the host there was like, this is not one of these things. One of these guests is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong, except he actually was, was into that and digging that. And I would just... I would have loved to see a camera on one or or any any sampling cross section of that audience on TCT as they were sitting there watching that interview unfold. I'd like to think I'd like to think I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'd like to think that it was akin to Theoden waking up a little bit. Maybe, maybe just maybe Theoden because I don't think that they hear that. They hear whisper uh, sweet nothings in their ears on on channel or on uh, networks like TCT, and uh, 
And uh, please, for your love gift of $25 this month, you can have um, yada, da, 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 prayer, uh, prayer beads, uh, you know, th- things like that. Or you can have this trinket. But they've never heard, probably, or at least very rarely, something like that. And the, the piece about critical thinking, that is the crux of this entire interview. Because there's a lack of critical thinking on both sides. Certainly, certainly, uh, at least uh, amongst what's left of America, at least our foundation is not build, built upon a lack of critical thinking, whereas left America, progressive America, they're counting on it. It's necessary for that to proliferate and to metastasize. But the waking up, the pricking of, of the conscience there, just in something like this, to an audience like this, this sounds different, probably, than what I've heard. I'm, I'm curious about that. Maybe that's all it takes sometimes. But uh, just being able to wake people up out of their slumber, a la Theoden. The slumber that's either self-imposed or put upon you by outside forces. I think that, uh, and I hope that that's what was accomplished during that, uh, during that interview, because you could see even from the host, if the host is like that, what is, what is that audience like as well? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was fascinating to watch. Looking at the channel lineup for this network and I see Joseph Prince, I see uh, Marilyn Hickey, Pat Robertson, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. Like Joseph Prince money or something? What? <laughs> no, Prince, P-R-I-N-C-E. Oh, okay. But, uh, I mean, these are all your, yeah. you know what I'm going to say. Prosperity gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few people on here I don't know. Maybe they're um, unique or proprietary to them, so I don't want to speak to their ministries in any way, shape, or form. But uh, And there's a couple things on here that I thought, you know, I mean, there's got, they got some classic Billy Graham stuff in their channel lineup as well, but... Um, just looking at what dominates, who did what you dominates th- their lineup. I'm guessing that is a conversation that a lot of that audience has never heard. Who did you think you were talking to? I had no idea. I, you know what? I didn't know who I was talking to. I just knew what I was going to talk yeah. about. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I just knew that if given the opportunity, now I didn't know I was specifically going to talk about the, the, the need for critical thinking. Sure. But any question that he would have asked me, I was going to turn into what I came to say. Yeah. Not, I was not necessarily going to use it to address what he was thinking. Sure. You know, and I think that is um, something we need to be far more strategic about. Once they hand us the platform, the power is now in our hands. Wield it. You discuss what you want to talk about. You say what you want to say. Uh, there's, there's, we don't have to agree uh, to the rules of engagement that we only are going to discuss certain things. No, no. When the platform is handed over, use that power. I mean, one of the great powers, one of the great weapons we have in our culture today is platform. Take full advantage of it. All of you have one. Everyone in my audience has one. Take full advantage of the platform you have. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Todd Erzin has 
the day off. Good luck to his daughters uh, running in the Drake Relays, one of the most prestigious uh, track and field events in the country each and every year, hosted right here in Des Moines. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, Parlor. Look for Steve Dace there. Follow at Steve Day Show on Twitter. And if you like censored clips of the program, make sure you hit us up at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And you can also find us rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. If you like the podcast, thank you. Uh, please uh, show and demonstrate that like by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a five star review if you haven't done those things already. I am told, I, I don't really have any evidence that this is true. I'm just kind of told this. Um, by people I, I quasi-trust uh, that the more likes we get, uh, that uh, the algorithms, um, Skynet, uh, then will uh, benevolently like us even more, I guess. I, all I know, though, is I really get off on the boost to my fragile male ego. So for no other reason than those, uh, please uh, keep the uh, the five-star reviews coming. Hit that subscribe button for us as well if you have not done so already. Thanks to all of you that have uh, done those two things for us previously. Maybe just keep doing them. Again and again and again. I don't know if it will count, but um, I'm willing to find out uh, if you are. Um, you know, we've been talking about Rough Greens for quite a while on the show now. It is the powder supplement that you sprinkle into your pet's food that's been sterilized when it left the factory for mass consumption and production. Same thing they do with our sterilized food. That's why we take so many supplements today. Much of the food we eat also for mass production is absent the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, pre probiotics, et cetera, that we need. So we buy supplements uh, to put that stuff back in our diet instead. Well, your pet needs one, your puppy needs one too. Now you may be wondering though, what if my dog doesn't like it as much as uh, your dog cap does, Steve, because our dog cap loves this stuff, but maybe you're not sure if your dog will. One way to find out, how about if we gave you the initial 14 day jumpstart bag for free to find out? All you're going to pay is the shipping. We'll give you the bag for free. So find out whether your puppy will like it. Go to roughgreens.com, R-U-F-F, for roughgreens.com, or give them a call, 833-ROUGH-DOG. Again, that's 833-R-U-F-F, 833-ROUGH-DOG. Well, maybe some of you have seen this clip going around from a congressional hearing earlier this morning. Watch this. Happened a long time ago in this country, and I'm tired. Chairman, I would uh, ask that the witness answer the question. His time has expired. Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, I just have a unanimous consent request for, to insert something in the record. Unanimous consent a, to insert something in the record. Consent request. You've already said that we would we could enter that in the record. You said it in your opening, Mr. Chairman. What ha- what changed? Johnson, can you hear me? So we're not going to insert something in the record? So Republicans can't enter anything minutes. in the record? I'm just so the, chair, the chairman doesn't want us to be able to insert stuff in the record? Maybe in a few minutes, but not right now. Oh, because, okay. Because when I had my time closing, I didn't want to insert it at the time inserted when I spoke. Mr. Johnson, we're going to go in proper order. You're recognized for five minutes. Well, this is a great way to run a hearing. Impressive. What's wrong? That's the Congress. Those are your betters, folks. Those are your betters. Um, the gentleman on the, I guess, remotely respectable portion of that conversation joins us now. Congressman Chip Roy from Texas. Chip, how are you, brother? Good to see you. 
Doing great, Steve. Uh, great to be on. Yeah, did, uh, our, our betters, uh, they're running the hearing like a complete clown show. That's, that's what we just experienced. So what was going on there? Give our audience the, the, the context of that. Well, this morning was a subcommittee on the Constitution of the House Judiciary Committee hearing on the Voting Rights Act. And it was a very serious matter, as you know. It's an important piece of legislation. Uh, and this has been going on now for a while. You might have seen earlier this week my friend Senator Mike Lee in the Senate was sparring with uh, Senator Durbin o- over these issues. My Democratic colleagues want to suggest that Republicans are against the Voting Rights Act or that we are against uh, equal uh, ability for all Americans to be able to, to vote. Uh, and it's frankly insulting uh, that they'll use disparaging uh, comparisons to the Jim Crow South uh, in suggesting that for some reason, because we want to have election uh, elections that we can trust uh, with voter ID and with you know, uh, in-person voting versus mail-in ballots and having protections for any mail-in ballots, et cetera, all the stuff you know and you've talked about ad nauseum, uh, they, they want to compare that to the Jim Crow South. So here's why they got mad. You had two things going on. One, and I'm the smaller part of this, you had a former Judiciary Committee staffer from the Senate who knows this issue. I worked on it. I helped uh, work on the record in 2006 when the Voting Rights Act was last reauthorized. And I know why the Supreme Court struck it down, because I lived through it. The, the Congress rushed it through for political purposes, didn't do what they were supposed to do, used an outdated formula because they politically wanted to force coverage over certain states. So, of course, the court kicked it out and they were right to do so. But here's what really made them mad is besides me highlighting that and putting that in the record or wanting to put it in the record, uh, you had the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, great guy, uh, and he happens to be a black man, and he's just lighting them on fire saying, don't use me as a pawn. Don't use me uh, to try to make your political points. There isn't uh, systemic racism or systemic, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, suppression of, of people's ability to vote. And he took it on and he supported the Second Amendment and he went through all of the things that are important. And, and frankly, liberals don't want to see that. And they don't want uh, folks to have a platform platform to challenge their conventional wisdom. And then on top of that, when you have our good friend Burgess Owen there, uh, Owen's there uh, making the case uh, and and having a good exchange with this uh, lieutenant governor from North Carolina, who's just such a nice guy. uh, They literally just lost their minds. Uh, That's your Democratic Party in in, in all raw display. Do they make, is there there any argument against voter ID, election integrity, verifying signatures on uh, absentee ballots, you know, is there any argument that they make that has it? And, and I'm asking this seriously. I don't mean to, I'm not, and maybe it's a dumb question. Um, you know, like uh, why can't cops shoot a woman who's about to stab a guy, another woman in the neck, uh, aim for the the legs like they do in a video game. Why can't they do that? Right. Okay. But is there any any argument of substance made at all over there other than you're just all racist is there like is there anything that you have to do your homework on you got to research the an angle to and reacting to or is every argument just everything's racist well every argument is everything's racist literally every single day every issue every bill is brought up through the lens of race today we're debating dc statehood and on the floor of the House of Representatives, and numerous members of the other side of the aisle kept coming up and saying, this is all about race. This is all about race. Like They're the ones talking about race. 
We're talking about the fact that the Constitution said we should have a capital city. We created a capital city. It's not a state. It's never been a state. It shouldn't be a state. And as I said on the floor, it's not going to be a state. It would be unconstitutional to do this by statute. The left knows this, uh, but they perpetuate it because they want to make this about race. They want to say this is somehow about disenfranchisement, uh, when in fact, this is about trying to protect the Constitution. Uh, look, if unlike my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, let me be a little uh, gracious here and say all of us want to make sure that the full purpose of the Voting Rights Act is realized. When the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, it was done so on the back of data that was patently obvious of, of discrimination against black Americans. And they used data that demonstrated that at the time. I'm going to pull this from my head. Roughly 29 percent of uh, black uh, voters uh, were registered. Uh, black Americans were registered to vote, I think. I think that's the stat. By the time they reauthorized the Voting Rights Act in 2006, that number had gone up in multiple jurisdictions, but around 69, 70, 72 percent. And those numbers were higher in covered jurisdictions under the Voting Rights Act than in non-covered jurisdictions. And I, I can nerd out on the policy as much as you want. My main point of all of this is there are times where we try to work with our colleagues on the other side of the aisle to ensure that the uh, spirit and the, and the intent of the Voting Rights Act is carried out. But my colleagues on the other side of the aisle don't want to do that. Mike Lee, in his exchange with, with Dick Durbin, was pointing out it was Republicans who passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. It was Republicans who forced ahead to get the 64 and 65 Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts done. I know LBJ was in office, but it was Republicans. And it is Democrats who perpetuate race baiting. It is Democrats who want to keep this issue as a divisive issue and don't want us to come together. They don't want to see a black leader from North Carolina sitting in a hearing saying, I don't believe that voter ID laws are somehow uh, racist. He's saying voter ID laws are important. And he told the story of his father-in-law, I think he said, I don't want to misquote that, but of somebody he was close to who had been in jail for a long time, many, many years. And when he got out, the first thing he did was go get a driver's license. And this was the point. It's like, just go get a driver's license, go vote. And we have so many provisions in our laws to give people access to voter ID that's government provided, that has your address on it, so we know who you are, and it's not discriminatory. But they want to make it discriminatory. So we're talking to Congressman Chip Roy here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. So, so Chip, to me, I think the question then comes down to, I mean, you and I, this isn't our first rodeo in politics. This isn't even your first rodeo on Capitol Hill, having served in the staffs of, 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 of uh, previous U.S. senators and current U.S. senators, I should say, like Senator Cruz, for example. So we understand there is some theater uh, that goes along with this, and both sides do it to some extent. Uh, is the race baiting to get, though, a specific policy outcome, or is it race baiting for race baiting, meaning that... I'm not trying to leverage uh, a certain policy outcome. I'm just trying to, you know, the, the tail is wagging the dog here. I, I'm just trying to provide content for MSNBC to air tonight uh, that, that, you know, for us to grift off of our base, right? So is, are we, is, there, is there something here that they want or is the race baiting the means and end in and of itself? I actually think the answer is both. Okay, and, and, I, and I say that for a reason. The race fading creates the division that keeps uh, a large block of organizations and entities that thrive on that uh, empowered. Uh, importantly, though, it is for trying to enact certain policies, right, to use 
uh, race baiting and the term like systemic racism to undo our laws, to undermine the police, to uh, try to pass D.C. statehood, even though the Constitution would say otherwise, to push back on voter ID laws because they're perfectly happy with fraud existing. Uh, when we know fraud exists, I hear my other colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Democrats, coming out and saying there is no fraud, right? And they talk about the big lie, right, about Trump's claims about November. Well, that we we don't have to litigate every specific aspect of every claim from November to know for sure that there are significant concerns about fraud, right? We we just know that we've looked at it. You've looked at it. We we all have eyes, and I've got reams of information of examples of things in Texas. Uh, where we're looking at different aspects of, of, of fraud, uh, but it's difficult to prove. It's, you got to go find it, right? And mail-in ballots and proving that a signature doesn't match and then go find the files. So we're just trying to say, hey, Georgia, uh, Texas, other states, let's pass laws to try and improve it. Here's the little secret. These updated Voting Rights Act laws that they're trying to push through, they literally include in it that it would be a violation of the Voting Rights Act and enforce preclearance and coverage by the Department of Justice of your state if you embrace voter ID. Well, 29 states have a form of voter ID. So you're immediately deemed as something the Department of Justice needs to come in and look at all of that systemic racism going on in your state. And as Mike Lee said very well, and as the Lieutenant Governor today concurred, uh, this is what they're trying to do is compare common sense reforms that all Americans or most Americans believe in with the Jim Crow South. And it's insulting. And it's insulting to black Americans who suffered in the Jim Crow South. But that's your modern Democratic Party at work. Let's switch gears. What you've been there several times. What, what's going on at the border? What is really happening? Well, as you know, uh, it's it's much worse than than uh, the media accounts even portray it. Um, we I've found we found some non white kids that the media, for whatever reason, they're not choosing to exploit all these kids. Chip, I find that fascinating. It's suddenly it's just like these are some non white children. We just don't have any use for. Uh, sitting in those aluminum foil sacks at the border as we speak. Well, when I was down at the border about three and a half weeks ago, and I and I, when I go, I go to the river and I sit there and I go try to visit with migrants who come across. That's my goal. And I want to visit with Border Patrol who are on the line. I don't want to go get any of the dog and pony shows from all the government relations people. They're all full of bull. Go down and talk to the media, the locals, the Border Patrol, and the migrants themselves. So I did that, sat on the river, didn't think I was going to see anybody because sometimes you don't, right? And But then all of a sudden I saw a bunch, saw 50, talked to most of them. Where are you from? What are you doing? Why are you coming? And you'll go down there and you'll see, and I posted pictures, and Louis Gomer did, there's signs up on trees that say asilo with an arrow, which means asylum, go this way. Keep in mind, 93% of these folks that are coming in and trying to claim asylum don't qualify for asylum uh, based on the data we've seen. But... They come across, they seek asylum, and they're endangered in the process. And I spoke to a seven-year-old little girl, seven years old. I have a 10-year-old daughter. You have children. I, don't, I can't remember their ages. Mm-hmm. Seven-year-old little girl who had been by herself from Guatemala or Honduras, I can't remember which, all the way through Mexico, had no family, wow. no mom, no dad, no uncle, no aunt, no brother, no sister, by herself. There was a young man who was like 12 years old, and he was kind of looking after her, it seemed like. I'm asking, where did, where did you find her? He's like about halfway through Mexico. I asked another young man, why are you coming here? He said, well, just jobs and opportunity. I, I, I just don't have as good a job opportunities back uh, in where I come from. In that case, I think it was Honduras. Look, God bless them. Steve, you and I, with, uh, presented with the same situation, we may well do the same thing. 
But the problem is Democrats are using this for their political purposes, just like they used the lieutenant governor of North Carolina as saying, you're using black guys for your purposes. We're saying, look, you're using these people as political pawns and endangering them and empowering cartels. And the cartel on the rest day uh, of Los Zetas uh, in Nuevo Laredo, the Reynosa faction of the Gulf cartel, they are profiting millions of dollars a day moving people across the border. We have the district attorney in Bernie, Texas, a suburb of San Antonio, which I represent. She is dealing with a case. I went down and visited with her. We talked on the phone. We've got an op-ed coming out, uh, hopefully, in the next couple of days, detailing the encounter where they have a car with nine immigrants in it, two of them in the trunk, stashed. They were getting taken to a stash house in Houston to be put into the sex trafficking trade and the human trafficking trade. <sighs> the driver was a paid employee of the Cartel de Noreste as an American citizen. Mm. One of the boys had paid $4,000 to go pick grapes in California, and he just learned, oh crap, I'm going to a stash house. This is happening every day, Steve. Empowered cartels, immigrants getting hurt, also Democrats can try to build up their voter base. And you know what? It isn't gonna work, because I think a lot of these people uh, are starting to see through it uh, if we keep highlighting what they're doing for crass political purposes. How do we end this? Is this, where's your governor at, for example? What 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 provincial authority could your state exercise to say, I mean, I guess we just have to do this ourselves? Well, I'll say two things to end this. You could end it immediately if you have the willpower to do it. And Republicans have been guilty of this, too. We need to step up and do the things you need to do. Fix the catch and relief laws. Use all the laws at your disposal, like Trump was trying to do with Title 42 and the COVID issues um, and be able to use health codes to stop people at the border change our asylum laws to make it where you have to do it in a home state and can't just come across and claim it and get blanket uh, access to our, uh, the system. Uh, build the wall, build the fences, clear the cane, build roads, uh, fix our visa overstay laws. These are all things you can do literally in about a week if we just sat down and did it. Seriously, no problem, not rocket science. Democrats don't wanna do it and a lot of Republicans don't wanna do it because they're basically owned by the Chamber of Commerce. I hope Republicans are starting to figure out they aren't your friends. Big corporations who want cheap labor uh, while sticking it to us, they're not your friends. So we need to be real about that. We need to be serious about what border security actually looks like. As it relates to Texas, there are limits under existing law, under federal law, and especially after Supreme Court decisions, which I think overly interpreted that law. For example, in Arizona, you remember that opinion that came out about a decade ago. Right, right. And it limits our ability to do what we should do to secure the border. But here's, I think, the most important question, Steve, for all your listeners, especially Texans, but other proud, you know, Iowans or other states. We have a long border with Mexico, Texas. Is there any doubt that Texas, were we not part of the United States and we were our own republic and we just celebrated our 185th birthday as a republic two days ago? Is there any doubt that we would, as Texas, secure our border? No, right. we would secure our border. But instead, we are not securing our border because the federal government is supposed to, and they say that they're the ones that get to make all the sh- call all the shots on that. I think Texas needs to start pushing back. I think Texas needs to start saying, you know what? We're going to secure the border. And I think we need to, to make that very clear uh, as soon as possible uh, in a loud voice against the federal government. The unique uh, systemic flood that we're seeing in this circumstance you know we we saw a flood early in the trump presidency we saw one late in the in the obama presidency is what happened here um 
they went with a typical uh, victimology narrative. Uh, you know, we're not going to deport anybody, let everybody come. But this time, um, it was it, it created such a, a flood that the variable of the border, the 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 human traffickers you've you've talked about, the drug cartels, that this has now brought these near wells to the surface in ways previous surges did not, uh, or at least not so plainly. And, and now they're stuck where they, what they had hoped would create an entire new victim class of voters for them to cynically take advantage of has instead um, amplified the criminal exercise going on down there. And so now they kind of don't know what to do. So they're just memory holing the damn thing, acting like it's not going on because they can't exploit it because in order to exploit it with their narrative chip brings to the forefront who's really kind of in a form of de facto control down there, which blows their narrative up. So they're just their narrative, their, their media doesn't cover it. Their politicians don't want to talk about it, act like it doesn't occur. You know, the, the Biden administration uses the word crisis in virtually every context every day, except the one that they actually directly caused. Did they just get caught with a hand in the cookie jar here? And now they're just kind of just pretending like, you know, that was just memory hole in this thing. Well, there's a number of things you raise. And number one, let me just jump to what we're doing to try to uh, highlight this. I introduced a discharge petition to move a piece of legislation on the floor of the House of Representatives if we get 218 signatures. And that legislation was drafted by Yvette Harrell to force application of Title 42 to all those coming across the river uh, and that is or across the border. And that is so critically important. That's what the Trump administration was doing. It's what the Biden administration has been backing away from with respect to children and families. And importantly, they're rattling about backing away from it for adults. So this discharge petition would force it to be voted upon if we get 218 signatures. So once all Republicans sign it, and they better sign it, then we'll have five or six Democrats that we need in order to get to the right number. Uh, So we can put pressure on our Democrat colleagues. Uh, In addition, you know, we, we can do a lot of things, I think, to continue to escalate and highlight this, I introduced legislation to designate cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. It gives our law enforcement more tools, but most importantly, it just heightens for the American people. These organizations are acting essentially like ISIS and Al Qaeda at our border. They're exploiting our laws, you know, reducing our national security. They're harming American citizens. They're harming Mexico. They have full run and control of Tamaulipas, a state in Mexico, plus virtually the, the vast majority of all of the areas of Mexico. And they're hanging people, burning people, threatening people, and they're, you know, running criminal enterprises in our country. Let's treat them like that, what they are. Now, that wasn't your question. The Biden administration is completely MIA, and so are Democrats. That's why we're introducing these measures to try to force their hand, raise the issue, and demonstrate to the American people they're not serious about doing what's necessary to secure the border. And yes, they're doing it for crass political reasons. And importantly, and lastly, This has gotten worse because the cartels now know how to exploit it. Over time, they've been building up to this. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jay Johnson, at least, he said 1,000 a day was a crisis. Well, hell, we had 6,000 a day in March. Uh, Jay Johnson was at least trying. Hell, the Biden administration put forward a request for ICE funding, which was more than what Trump administration asked for. Of course, you got AOC and all these others saying we should defund ICE. But the dirty little secret is these guys— when they deplete the numbers and reduce the numbers in all these facilities and top in, in uh, you know Carrizo Springs and Midland throughout Texas, and they'll do that eventually. What they'll be doing is catching and releasing faster. They want to solve the problem, 
They'll just expedite what they want to do, which is continue to process people irrespective of the law. And they just hate it when we call them out for the cartels, the danger to American citizens, the fentanyl, all of the narcotics coming in between the ports of entry because Border Patrol is distracted. And I can tell you, Border Patrol, they want us to have the Title 42 protections in place. They want the designation of terrorists. They want the wall finished. And they, they can't understand why, you know, Democrats are doing this to, to Border Patrol and to our country. Final question, Chip. What do you do? I want our audience to kind of get a, a, a peek behind the, the curtain a little bit through you, if you don't mind. Yeah. What does what goes on up there most days? What, what, what happens most of the time? Do you want the current environment or, or Congress traditionally? Uh, the current environment. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's slightly different um, because since the, you know, COVID, you know, uh, fake crisis blew out and, and, and destroyed everything sensible in this country, we have created an environment where Republicans um, are actually going along with Democrats, allowing proxy voting. So people aren't here. We have hearings like we had this morning where at least some of us were present, but a lot of these hearings are done remotely via Zoom or some you know online deal. And you, it, it's clunky and you can't do it very effectively. When we vote, we have to vote in these long intervals and they take all day to do it. We literally never get a chance to offer amendments on the floor of the House of Representatives. Everything you read about how a bill becomes a law uh, or you know the old schoolhouse rocks thing, mm-hmm. like, that doesn't occur. Right. We, we don't we don't ever offer amendments on the floor. We're prohibited by rule. The House Democrats just decided, you know, you ask, well, why, Chip, are you wearing a mask on the floor of the House? I thought I saw Ted Cruz and Rand Paul said they're not going to wear a mask anymore. Well, our rules in the House and the Senate are different. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is ru- you know ruling with an iron fist and saying we'll have a we'll face a five thousand dollar fine if we go onto the floor of the House of Representatives and don't wear a mask. You know, some of us have debated pushing the envelope of that. But, you know, that's real money. And so we're trying to push back and push hard, try to open things up. We fought to move the fences in, the razor wire, getting rid of it. Fortunately, they did. They moved them in and took the razor wire uh, down. Uh, but they may come back. They, they always you know, do that. We go through magnetometers to go to the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, we don't have constituents here anymore. They don't come in because everything's shut down. So bottom line is we don't legislate. We just come in. We push a red button or a green button, which for me is mostly always a red button. No. <laughs> And we never really get to do anything but do that and then go give a speech as to why what they're doing is is insane. So, you know, that's your broken house. And by the way, that's a bipartisan problem. The inability to offer amendments was done by Republican leadership in 2017 and 18 as well. And we need to open this place up if people that are sent by the people, the representatives, want to have a voice on the floor of the House. So I've been calling for those kinds of changes. But look, the bottom line is that's all sounds very negative. Let me end with a positive on that question. If you've got any more questions, that's fine. I would just tell you that the energy and enthusiasm from a lot of the members that were sent here by the people to change this place, Freedom Caucus members, we've increased our ranks to 40. The extent to which people are fed up with what's going on, don't lose faith. Don't, don't, don't assume that just because we're limited right now in the minority in the House as to what we're doing, that, that there isn't hope that there's a new breed coming in trying to change things. We are far from where we need to be. I mean, the Freedom Caucus is only 40, and we have 213 Republicans or whatever. We've got a lot of work to do, and we've got a lot of work to do to hold feet to the fire. And right now, we've got to focus on states, make sure we have strong election laws, 
uh, and we need to point out all the hypocrisies of the Democrats and what they're doing and focus in on 2022. And last thing I'll say is this. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to be up to the American people to figure out how to start saying no to all of the stuff that the that they're doing in Washington, D.C., and states have to be the voice for that. And I'm trying to be a voice for that while I fight the fight up here. Congressman Chipper, good to see you, brother. Thanks for joining us again today on Blaze TV. All right, take care, friend. And let me just say one thing. Thank yep. you for writing that great book. I know we didn't talk about it today. It is so critically important that everybody knows. Your audience agrees with you on this, I think, but... People need to know the truth about Dr. Fauci and what he's done to our kids, our country, and uh, the future of our country and destroying the economy. Thank you for making that truth known, my friend. You got it, brother. Thank you. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Appreciated your endorsement. Thanks, Chip. God bless y'all. Same to you. Aaron, any thoughts? Oh, I, uh, I would just say, just when I was starting to talk myself into the notion that there's some Illuminati, Illuminati-like cabal of of politicians in D.C., you know, uh, pulling the levers and strings like a marionetta. Uh, I hear from from Chip Roy, and no, it's it's not that. It, it's not that. It's just things would be running just, a lot better if it were. It's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The virtues of the deep state, if you will. Um, no, it's just every every worst instinct that you have about how bad most of the people the vast majority of the people running running this country are they're all they're all true and probably worse than you think three although i guess this week it's five yeah uh, non-political questions coming your way next year stay tuned for those At the first built bar of the day, chocolate chip cookie dough coming back. Coconut brownie chunk is back right now. That those are just two of several incredible flavors of built bar. All of them covered in real chocolate. Uh, so many amazing flavors, and and you don't have to sacrifice taste for health anymore. Has the taste and texture of a candy bar, but. Uh, it's got all the good stuff you're looking for, up to 18 grams of protein per bar, 5 grams of carbs or less net carbs per bar, 5 grams of sugar or less per bar as well, 180 calories or less per bar. In fact, a lot of them are in that 130 to 160 range. Trust me, you've never had a protein bar this good. You've never ate anything that tasted like a candy bar that was this healthy. Built Bar, fantastic product. You will thank me later, I promise. Oh, and I should mention this too. Easy on the tummy. That's uh, important for some of us these days. All right, so go to BuiltBar.com. B-U-I-L-T is how it's spelled for BuiltBar.com. Use my last name, Dace, as a promo code. Get 15% off your first order. If you've never tried it before, now's the chance. With the coconut brownie chunk back, get 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. 15% off with the promo code Dace at BuiltBar.com. Dot com. And it's now time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. 
Yes, it is three non-political questions. Hopefully good questions, though if you've been around us for long enough, you know that that's not the case. Three non-political questions on the Steve Day Show. Can I admit something here really quick sure. to you before you yeah. start? I don't get nervous or anything about doing the show largely by myself when you guys aren't here or one of you's not here. Sure. I did a show by myself for many, many years. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy having you guys, but I'm like, you know, I know how to do this, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm nervous about this. I'm nervous that you are going to hit me with some uh, with <laughs> three without any backup Mount Rushmores, and I can't think of an answer in time, and I've yeah. got I don't have Todd to throw it to. Yep. All right, so th- I'm I'm nervous about this. I'm going to admit Good. that. I mean, uh, no, you shouldn't be nervous. Question number one: If you could bring back a key figure in Christendom and then run them for president, would you do it? And if you would, who would you choose? So from any era in Christendom. Any era. So when And I count even the Old Testament as Christian. Oh, okay. Um We gotta obviously we obviously have to Excluding accept Christ. Jesus. Yeah, okay. Obviously. Okay. Hmm. Um I would it'd be a tough call for me between Moses. Mm-hmm who himself, in many respects, was a prophet politician. And, and if you look at a lot of what he had to deal with, the egos, um, organization, governance, uh, I would imagine Moses loved getting called to Mount Sinai. It was a break all right, <laughs> from the people. Okay. Um, uh, so, I, because I, what I'm, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that I think are obviously we have modern technology and 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 expressions and things that that you'd have to get adjusted to but fundamentally would they be prepared for what you're what you're going to ask of them because we don't just elect an idea for president we elect people right so would they understand the the craftsmanship of politics as a craft would mm-hmm. they get that so Moses, I think, clearly is a figure that would that would understand that. And also, what I like about going with him is uh, he he's not he was not faint of heart, and it would not shock him to get resistance from the the very people he was either trying to help or wearing uh, the same jersey. Right. And I think that is key today: is can you do what what my buddy Chip Roy does up there? Agree or disagree? And I know there have been times Chip and I have not agreed, you know, Um, but the fact that he's willing to stand against a tide if he really thinks his facts are right and he's right, I think that's key in in the era in which we live. And then, of course, Paul is an obvious figure because he was the closest thing that the New Testament church had to a free person as we understand them today, right? A lot of our Western traditions of habeas corpus, jurisprudence, civil liberties, those sorts of things, um, you know, a lot of them have a Greco-Roman basis. Paul would have been very well-versed in that world. He was a, a Jew who was a rare Roman citizen. So he had almost a dual citizenship theologically and then civically, which I think is a requirement for the times in which we live as well. Um I, the reason I'm not full-throated with Paul is I think 
Moses's paradigm is he stepped more into the politician role as a as a part of his calling, right? Right. Paul, you see, as the New Testament and his ministry evolves, steps less out of the Roman role, role and and more into the um, I came to drop bombs. He goes more more Bullworth, mm-hmm. you know. If you get the film reference I'm making, as, sure. as as his ministry evolves, and therefore I wonder, you know, everybody says they like the guy who tells them what's for, what's up, and what for, right? Yeah, do we? I mean, the first time Paul's like, "Hey, listen, man, you guys like circumcision so much, man. I mean, just cut your whole penis off and just show us just how much how really committed at this you are." Are we gonna get? I mean, I know everybody says, well, look at Trump, guys. You read a New Testament? Okay. <laughs> Come on, man. Paul's out there dropping son of the devil and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, how would that play in our culture? To now? I, I don't know. I, I know it would get, it would draw a loyal audience. I don't know how wide of an audience, though. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So I wonder if Moses might be a little bit more prepared for that. Um, and I don't think that Paul wasn't prepared. I just think he started giving, uh, you know, zero, you know what? So I just don't yep. care, you know? So not, you know what? The more I think about it, yeah, I'm going to run Paul because of that. Yeah. Even though Moses is a very tempting offer. But I think right now that this culture could use maybe somebody who uses a presidential campaign as a platform for a spanking, even more so than winning the office. Can you imagine? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm done. That was good. Yeah, yeah good. Um, I... I don't think anybody has a frame of reference. Can you imagine Elijah on a GOP That's primary a good one too. stage? Oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be that would be That's so good worth one. it. That yeah. would be so worth it. And yeah. then throughout the rest of the just, you know, calling everybody's bluff and and shattering everybody else's idols. I would love that. Somebody just emailed me Nehemiah. That's, oh, that's an a good excellent. One. That's a very good That's one. an excellent example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question two, excluding, th- here's a Mount Rushmore for you, excluding Thanos and the Joker, who's on your Mount Rushmore of comic book villains, and they can be of any level, level. they okay. don't have to be um, super villains. I, I think you have to have Doctor Doom on your list, I mean, he is the, he really is the main villain of the Marvel, uh, of the Marvel Comics universe, he's their ultimate alpha villain. It's just Thanos is more omnipresent now because of the popularity of the films. Lex Luthor has to be on the list. Um, Sinestro would be on my list. I've always thought Sinestro was a badass villain. And you know I'm a huge um, Green Lantern fan. Mm -hmm. And, well, I got to have Darkseid on the list. There you go. Who's the character that Thanos was actually a derivative and ripoff of? I mean, Darkseid's the OG version of what Thanos, you, most of America now knows Thanos as. Darkseid was the character that Thanos was based off of. So I'm going to go with Darkseid, Doctor Doom, um, Sinestro, and Lex Luthor. And if, and if I had a backup, who was the person that you... Who were you thinking of putting on there? It would be either the Riddler or Galactus would be the the two that I thought the most about putting on there instead. I think for me, it's... And it's Brainiac. Brainiac, yeah. Uh, I think for me, it's Scarecrow. I just think the way that uh, he was portrayed, especially in the Nolan uh, yeah. film, that was just... 
that was terrifying. Uh, um, Cillian Murphy was phenomenal. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and Batman Begins is him. Yeah. Uh, Would you like to see my mask? Yeah. Yes. Loki. Um, although I don't know if he really counts as a villain. I think he does. Uh, to, to, to some extent, Loki. He did invade planet Earth once. That's true. I yeah. guess you can count that as yeah. uh, as a as a villain. All of mine are are very biased because I, I didn't read comic books. Sure. Uh, these comic books as a kid, I would say Red Skull is another one that's really, really scary. I loved Red Skull when I was a kid. Yeah. And then Cause I'm uh, a big Captain America guy. I'm yeah, going so. completely off the board here with uh, Bionicle, which is a Lego set at, that also had its own comic books. And by uh, Makuta was the big bad in that one. He was pretty terrifying. Um, I know you're kind of a clean freak to some extent. What's your least favorite thing to clean? And what's your most favorite thing to clean? Um, my most favorite thing to clean is, uh, is my man cave. I like cleaning my man cave. Yeah. Um, just, you know, turning some music on or a sporting event or something. And, um, cause that's your, that's your, um, th- that's, that's, that's my fortress of yeah. solitude. Yeah. And you've Can't been be down messy. there and yeah. there's a lot of mementos and, and one of the things that cleaning it helps me do aside from the fact that I like it cleaned is it helps me to remember some of the things we've accomplished, been, been had access to, and able to do, um, where we where we came from, you know, with this show of ours and redoing and, and going through and cleaning all that stuff up. I don't on a day to day basis. I don't think about it. it I, do you ever hear me even talk about no. it even off the air? But I, but, and, and so sometimes that also can lend itself to you getting ungrateful, bitter, um, you know, uh, down, you know, and so it's good to be reminded about some of the cool things we've been able to do over the years, how far we've come, how much the thing, this thing we're trying to accomplish with our show has grown. So I, I like it oh, in the last couple of years, mowing the lawn has gotten higher on my list just because I enjoy getting out in the heat with yeah. a podcast for an hour yep. or two, you know what I'm saying? And turning it, turning out the world. So that's getting, I, I, I keep telling Noah, this is the third summer in a row. I keep threatening to turn the lawn mowing over to him, but you kinda I, I kind of like it. Yeah. yeah I kind of like the, uh, the, the, the getaway. What I like cleaning the least, um, is, is mopping the floors and stuff like that. I'm yeah. just not a huge fan of it, but I, I do the best job of it in the home. And so I tend to do that. Um, so that, it, you know, it, actually Zoe's getting much better at this. So I'm kind of hoping maybe I can hand that off to her. Yeah. I hate mopping and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, for me, favorite thing to clean is, is I, I like vacuuming. I don't tell, don't ask me why I hated the noise of the vacuum when I was a kid. Um, but I, I like vacuuming now. Uh, least favorite <clears throat> thing to, cl- I, do not like dusting because huh. every single time I dust like two minutes later, I'm like, Oh, there's a place I forgot. There's a spot. I forgot. Uh, there's something I didn't do. So that's, that's something I hate doing. Uh, let's see. Question number four, another two part question. What's the most difficult position to play in all of team sports? Uh, it's quarterback. I, I don't even think it's close. Actually. I, I think it's pitcher. You do. Yeah. Um, Okay, and then I, then then I think there's actually a very compelling argument for that. So it's closer than I think. The reason I would still think it's it's quarterback though uh, is you have to. It's not just 
I would agree that the physical reliance on the outcome of a game between a pitcher and a quarterback are very, very similar. Yep. Right. If it, it, it's it's hard to be consistently good at baseball if your pitching sucks. Hard to be consistently good at football if your if your quarterbacking does. Mm-hmm. Almost it almost doesn't matter how good the rest of your team is. Right. Um, that being said, the a pitcher doesn't necessarily have to know how to play every other position on the field at the same time. Sure. A quarterback mentally does. And then a quarterback has to process all of that within a 25 second play clock. Yep. To make sure everything's lined up the right um, line assignments, who the blitzers are. There's a, there's a great story. Who am I thinking of? Just left the Texans, went to the Cardinals hall of famer, JJ Watt. Mm -hmm. JJ Watt was tweeted out a great story about Phillip rivers when he retired. That a few years ago they were playing against him when he was still in San Diego, and they he came to the line of scrimmage and had one of the Houston Texan linebackers. He kept telling him, "You're in the wrong spot for this defense you're in. You're blitzing from the wrong <laughs> angle." He moved him to the spot he was supposed to go right. pre-snap. Okay, right. so the the knowledge you need to have of everything else on the field, and then to process all of that within three to four seconds post of a snap with men literally trying to rip your head off at that point. To me, I think mentally. That is where quarterbacking, I think, takes a separate step. Yeah, that's the argument I, I, I would make if I thought quarterback. It's the reflex, the two to three, four seconds at max that you have to process everything you're seeing on any given play. It's just for me, the technical uh, ability that you have to have you have to possess as a pitcher consistently over uh, over a long season. Uh, that is that's something that I, I don't think quarterbacks need to have quite as uh, or at least not to the degree uh what what's the most dangerous position to play in all of team sports for me i i think it's i don't think it's any question i think it's wide receiver going over the middle hmm. you're about to get decapitated yeah. every single play i think it's wide I, receiver. you know what the number one injured position in the nfl is cornerback really yeah, and I think it's because they have to they, the 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 size that they have they're diminutive in size because speed is is so, uh, such a big yeah. thing. But and then they're always spinning but, around. But and they've got but they've yeah. got to take hits and yeah. deliver them at the same time. So I'm fine with either one of those options. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more, really, really quick. Uh, what's your least favorite question to be asked that you've been asked repeatedly? My least favorite question to be asked that I've been asked repeatedly. <sighs> I don't know. I can't think of a question that annoys me that I get asked. Can you think of, have I complained about something? No. I can't think of a question that I, I love getting questions. And the number one thing that annoys me is when, is when you and the audience think you have to translate what I was trying to say. That, that, that annoys the hell out of me. Don't, don't trans, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, what I said means. You don't tell me. But in terms of a question, I, I like getting questions. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, when I go do speaking engagements, I'm like, how long can I leave open for questions? You know, so I, that doesn't really annoy me all that much, actually. Nice. Uh, for me, it's, uh, and I don't get this anymore. It's, uh, has anybody ever told you you look like Harry Potter? You get that? I used to when Did I you? had glasses. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Or wore them all the time. That's going to do it for today's show. Todd will be back tomorrow with the Dace Group. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.